This summer, we will hear from key leaders in our community, sharing their personal stories of transformation by God's power. The Freedom Starts Today series is inspired by the 90-day devotional of the same name by John Elmore. This book encourages us to practice confession and repentance daily in order to live lives worthy of our calling. Well, good morning. We're so glad you are here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and I'm just so thankful that each and every one of you is here today. If you are a first-time guest, we want to extend a special welcome to you as well. We're so glad that you've decided to join us. We have a gift for you that can pick up on your way out on the tables right across the way here. We'd love to get to know you, so please feel free to fill out a connection form, which you can find online through our app as well. But again, we just want to walk with you, share as much information or as little information as you're comfortable. But again, we're glad you are here with us today. And I just wanted to briefly touch on uh, the fact that we are so excited about all that God's doing in our community. God is at work. This last Wednesday, we had an incredible jam night right here at Riverbend. It's just awesome that God has blessed us with incredible musicians, as well as incredible communicators. Can we just thank God for that by just giving him a round of applause for his goodness and the ways he just is showing up in our community. We are so grateful uh, that we get to join him in the everyday moments of life. And so one of the things I want to say to you as well is we're continuing to work through our next phase with our kids' ministry. And so updates are going to be coming Soon, uh, So I just want to let you know we're working on that. We had an incredible week with our leadership team discussing that. We're going to continue to work through that process, and we'll be sure to communicate that with you as well. And then the last thing I just want to touch on is who's sharing today. And it's a man that you may or may not know, but he is intricately involved in what's going on in the life of Riverbend. His name's Keith Capel, and Keith works with our student ministry. But before Keith was doing that with our community at Riverbend Community Church, one of the things I admire and appreciate about Keith is that Keith would work night shift for the morning call. And he would tell me that oftentimes he would come on his way back from his shift and pray over this parking lot. And this is back in 2008 when we first met. And then as the, sub, the, sequent, the subsequent years and as we continue to get to know each other, I keep hearing him say, yes, I would, I would just drive and just pray over your church that you're a part of and you're leading. And I'm just so grateful for somebody like that, that you can't often know and put into words what that means. Because really, as it's been said, prayer is actually the powerhouse. That's where God is at work when we pray. And when things aren't seen, God is at work and moving in our lives, but also we get to benefit from those who are praying on our behalf. And so these are the types of things about Keith that as you get to know him, you hear his heart. He's got a heart of a servant, a heart that says, hey, I'm willing to step up, step into wherever it is that God has for me, but also has a heart to share God's truths with others. And so my heart today, as we're in this series, Freedom Starts Today, is for you to hear from somebody who's influencing the church of tomorrow, but also the church of today with our students, our middle school and high school students. So let's give a round of applause for Keith Keppel as he comes to the stage. Hey, could you pray for me quick? Yeah, sure. I'm going to just pray over Keith this morning. Thank you. All right, here we go. Father, right now, I just thank you so much for Keith. Thank you for the word that he's going to bring today. And Lord, I thank you for the many communicators that make up 
our community here. It's a gift to be a part of something where you um, have brought people to share uh, your vision for others, Lord. So I just pray for him. I pray that his words uh, would be your words. I pray that more than anything, the message that he speaks would be the message that you've written on his heart and in his life. I thank you for the ways in which he serves and loves his family, but also the way he loves and serves the families here in our community. Lord, we're grateful for him. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would have your way this morning. I pray that you would help us to be attuned to what it is you're saying to us and that we would be drawn into you and into what it is that you have for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Robert. Oh, by the way, it's Keppel. Keppel. He even, he even checked with me earlier and said, it's Keith Keppel, right? I said, yeah. He says, I've been practicing. <laughs> All right, so I, I appreciate the way Joe uh, really introduced me and talked about the, the fact of prayer. And uh, for me to ask him to pray like that is, is very, something that's really comfortable for me to do. Um, I've been ministering to youth for a, a very long time. Um, and it's funny because <laughs> the way Joe just introduced me about influencing the church of tomorrow and you know, it being part of what's going on today and so on, if you think about it, the stuff I was doing for youth ministry for so many years ago was, I mean, some of these kids now are in their 40s, you know. And since I started in youth ministry in, what was it, 1989? So that's a long time ago. Chris was five, you know. <laughs> so it, 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 occasionally I feel, you know, wow, God, what the heck are you doing? But uh, I think we've got something here today, and I really want to, want to, I'm excited to share this with you guys, so um, we'll do that. But first of all, I, I needed to start with something, because I have always been um, a singer. I love to sing. I can't play anything. I play the radio real well. And I, I love to sing. Sometimes I love to sing off-key and things like that, too. It's really kind of fun. But what I want to do today is uh, something that we can all do. Not just some of us that are, happen to be older or something like that, but especially you kids out there, you can do this with me. So everybody, just stand right up, and I want to ask Robin, we're going to put the words, it's, it's a great, it's one of these deeply spiritual songs. Um, these are the words to the song, it goes like this. The first word is not clap, it is the sound. Very good, okay. The second word is not toot, because that would just be silly. It's toot. Try it. So put the clap, and then the toot. Awesome. You guys, have you sung this before? You have, okay. The next one is, don't get too crazy about it, but you sort of have to get your voice to be like, okay, this is the easiest way for me to, rem to remember it. You take your race box cars, and you go like this. <laughs> so try that. Good. So we got toot. Everybody following. Great. Stomp is really easy. Awesome. That was like really a nice stomp, but you could try it. Try that. From the beginning. Awesome. And then the bottom. Try it on three. One, two, three. Awesome. Yes. You've sung this before, I can tell. So now as we go through this song, the song is really great because what it does is it, it connects us to what, we're, what God has put on my heart today, and it's talking about how we need the Lord 
in all things, right? And so the song is really simple. So I'll teach you the words, and then we do these words, things, I don't know, whatever they're called. Some of them are onomatopoeias, but not all. Don't go there with an argument. You know, I'm an editor by trade. No, just joking. The song goes like this. On a day like this. Got that? Try it. On a day like this. Beautiful. On, t- take it up a notch. That I'm a musician, right? <laughs> On a day like this. On a day like this. And at that part we go, because my hand's here, we go to, oh, and you're following along and you're singing it with me, right? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. I need the Lord to help me. That's the song, okay? So your hands should be down now. Good, very good. Okay. On a day like this, we're doing two each time, and then we do it again on a day like this. And then the third time we do this on a day like this. One clap. Oh, oh, I need the Lord to help me. Right. Now we got to put them all together. So we start with the first, the new one, which is the bottom one below it, toot, and then do the clap. So it goes, on a day like this, toot, toot. We lost people now. Great. Try it again. On a day like this, toot, toot. On a day like this, toot. Oh, two toots over there. I need the Lord to help me on a day. Let's say it's a little, we need a little bit. Is this a key change now? On a day like this. (laughs) We're losing people. On a day like this. On a day like this. Some people in the back over there have just given up. They're like, oh, I need the Lord to help me on a day like this. On a day like this. Oh, I forgot. On a day like this. Oh, yeah, you got it, Bobby. If you just stand there with your hands up like this, you'll catch up, right? Oh, I need the Lord to help me. Now it gets really weird. On a day like... Oh, I forgot the first part. On a day like... Wiki, 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 wiki. Because you got to do four wikis in order to do the two wikis. Follow me, people. Wiki, 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 wiki. Toot, toot. On a day like this. Wiki, 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 wiki. I'll just go, on a day like this. This is a joyful noise, people. Oh, and Tyler went, turn that down. We need the Lord to help us. Sit down. Very good. <laughs> good job, guys. <laughs> so my name is Keith. I serve as the... I don't know what I serve as. I've heard people say different things about what I do here, but I'm here to, to really um, work with God, to work with people. And um, my place has been for uh, youth ministry. My heart has been there for youth ministry for a very long time. 
Um, and song has always been a part of it. But I wanted to because, you know, this has been a tradition of what's going on in this, in this, uh, this series. Show you a picture, an older picture of me. And right here it is. I'm on the right. Okay. So this is when I was in high school and I was duty in Greece. And that guitar is tuned to a C because I don't know how to play a guitar. But you'll notice the only thing, the, 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 the real important thing to me right there on that, that picture is I'm wearing a cross on my neck. And this was three months, this is in 1982. This is three months after I got born again. And I now understood a new thing in my life. Um, so there's the, the picture. Now you can all go, oh, he's so cute. What happened to him? But as you can see, our, our series is, um, we're connecting here, a lot of things. And one of the connections that I, that I, um, that I have really found with, with uh, how, we're, uh, how Chris started and then how Mike continued and how I started was, or I'm in, next in part of this, we, we go from this title that we're working on here, and I'll, uh, I'll prompt you through the titles here. It, the book is Freedom Starts Today. That's a devotional by John Elmore, and he's got a great thing going on there. I was trying to figure out how, I, how my heart and my message fit into it. And so when, um, when uh, you, you see the connections beyond the whole idea of as we go, the speakers are really getting better looking. Um, you know, we went... And, and Joe's next week, so this is, <laughs> we're right on. <laughs> Be, beyond that, the titles um, that we've, we've, we're working on, we, we've been looking at it like this. It's, that's the one. <laughs> Sorry about that. So the um, freedom from something leads to something. And that was where a working title came in and, so we were talking, and Mike talked last week about shame and uh, how shame leads to um, reconciliation. And uh, Chris kicked us off with, with uh, his testimony of what was going on, what the whole, the whole series is looking like. So when, when we first got to this point, um, we were sort of decided that I was going to be talking on freedom from, and we put in suffering, and leads to contentment in every circumstance. And it was sort of okay. <laughs> because I, 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 as I started to discuss this with myself, and, and I do talk to myself quite often, so you know, if, if that happens, just know it's normal. Um, <laughs> freedom from suffering. And I, I thought, I haven't really had that. Freedom from suffering. And, and, and we've all, all of us, every age here can understand that. I mean, there are times that God just takes us out of a situation and gives us that freedom from suffering, right? But most oftentimes, he takes us and says, you know what? I'm going to be the Prince of Peace for you. Hold on, because we're going to go through this together. And the contentment in every circumstance didn't work out for me. To, and so I was like, and I figured this out. I think it's freedom through suffering that leads to contentment in Christ. 
freedom through suffering, something that we're going through, something that you do, you have to go through in order to see what God's doing. Um, Knowing all along that God is bigger than any of your problems. All right? And I'm talking about any of your problems. I mean, it, it really does feel like, you know, COVID was a big pain in the butt. Can I say pain in the butt in church? <laughs> it really does feel like that. But, you know, there's some things that I, I learned about COVID that I, I learned about myself during COVID that I really, I really think I needed to know. I think there's, there's and we could all talk about that, you know, we could, we could say, you know, freedom in uh, the suffering that we're going through right now is COVID or the suffering we're going through right now is a young family, you know, and all the struggles that it is to take care of them at one time or uh, having a job or not having a job, you know. That could be a suffering that's in your heart right now that you could still find freedom through because God has given us a way to get to not just suffering but finding contentment in, in Christ, finding that contentment in the suffering. And Paul talks about it um, in Philippians. And, and Philippians is one of my favorite books. So let's look at what, first of all, starting, because I, I didn't go to seminary. So, you know, when I talk about freedom through suffering leads to contentment in Christ. So what I should say is, okay, I'm going to start at the end <laughs> and start at, you know, talk about what contentment is. And if I went to seminary, I would have said, okay, we're going to talk, talk about suffering first. then And that would have been a lot more, you know, I don't know. We'll see. But freedom uh, through suffering, we find contentment in Christ. And Paul writes in Philippians 4 these words. Uh, You can read it up here, or you can get out your Bible or your phone app or whatever you want to do. But never come to church without a Bible or some way of accessing the Word of God. All right, so that being said, Philippians 4 says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had not the opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I learned to be content whatever the obstacle, the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul has been saying, Paul, Paul has been at this point in Philippians 4, he's written, he, he, he likes the church at Philippi, which is where Philippians live. And that's, that's a good thing, because if the Corinthians lived in Philippi, that would just be a weird book. But... The Philippian church, they had it pretty much together. There was a little bit of stuff that Paul had to address in this letter that he's writing to them because he really feels that he's a, he's a, a church leader. He's like a father, a spiritual father to them, and he wants to touch base with them. He wants to bring, bring his experience to them so that they can learn. And he, he is talking to them, and they, in turn, have reached out to him and have given him things to support him and things like that. But... Paul, was, was, he, he's saying here, 
that he's learned to be content. Learn to be content. And when I look up the word for content, I had it here because I can't say it. Autarkis. See, if I went to seminary, I learned how to speak Greek. Yeah. Nope, that's not the one I want yet. That's my point. <laughs> the word is autarkis. Okay? Contentment is autarkis, or some sort of Greek word like that. And it proposes the fact that it's self-sufficiency. Okay? In the, in the word, it's, it's saying that you have everything contained in you for doing your job. But Paul is sharing a secret here. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. And his, he's, he's sharing this. It's sort of like a twist on this Greek word. He's saying that it's in Christ, not in himself. It's in Christ that he finds this, this strength against outward influences, the strength to do what God has called him to do. He's, he's saying that he's content, and it's a secret that he's learned, so that he can, he can be in every... The, the philosophers at that time would have said, um, you have everything around you, you can be content, and you can take all those things in you, and you can, you can be your, 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 your own person, you know, and you could be, they, I don't think they would have said the person you were created to be because that, that imposes that there's a person who made you, you know, God. And, and sometimes these Stoic philosophers didn't have all that. They weren't on God's side necessarily. They said, we could do it ourselves. We could be content by ourselves. We can get through this thing by ourselves. And Paul's saying, I have learned this. I had to be I had, to, I had to go through some things in order to learn the secret of being content. Paul is sharing that he learned spiritual resources and his sufficiency in Christ. And so out of all of this discussion with myself, I came up, because I think there's a difference between contentment and complacency. Okay? And contentment is not complacency. Nor is it a false peace based on our, uh, ignorance. Ignorance, it means you don't know what's going on around you. So therefore, you have no struggles. Okay? So contentment is different than complacency. A contented Christian experiences the love of Christ. He knows Jesus. He follows Jesus. And then he wants to share his blessings with others. He wants to be part of this, the Jesus story. Okay. While a complacent believer is uninspired often and often unconcerned about others. And when I consider the two words, I think it's important that we understand that we don't say, yes, I'm content, and then we sit there and do nothing. Because that's not what God has made us to be. He's made us to be part of... a a bigger body of Christ. He's made us to be hands and feet of the body of Christ. There's all, all kinds of different other scriptures that talk about that. We can be part of God's plan, part of God's story. And not that we can be, we should be. I said I'm an editor. I correct myself quite often, especially if I say things that aren't in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the, the fact that, I, uh, just hold on to this for a second because I want to I sort of explain to you the difference in, in uh, where I came from this in my own situation. I grew up a long time ago, with, you know, before that kid, I grew up in a family that was um, a Roman Catholic family, okay? And we went to church on Sundays, and we did everything that was supposed to be done, and so on and so forth. But I wasn't doing much with the fact that I was part of a bigger community. I was part of a bigger church. I was part of the, the, the body of Christ. I wasn't doing anything with that, you know? I didn't do real bad things, like Chris. <laughs> I planned that one. Or Mike. I wasn't like those guys. No. I was worse. <laughs> I was complacent. I didn't care. I didn't have any connection to anything else. We just checked the boxes. Yet we went to church that day. Oh, especially don't miss it on Easter. Or if somebody you know, gets married or somebody dies, you better be there. But it really didn't make a difference in my life. Okay? Until people got around me. And you know who these people were? You'll never guess. You, you, you might think that they were, the, they were like the old, the old guys that would say, this is how it should be, you know? Or the, the uh, people on television, famous people or something like that. No, 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 no. It wasn't that at all. God put me in this group of friends, students, people my age. And he said, this is where I want you to be right now. And these guys and girls believed that they knew the secret of contentment. And they knew that they wanted to share their blessings. And they knew that Christ had given them a way to love, and they were now going to share that with other people, myself. They knew the Jesus way, where I just knew the church way. I knew how to be a good church. I was even a, a, an altar boy for a little bit of time, you know. And I, was, I knew exactly what to do at the right times. But I didn't know the Jesus way, which really took it from not just being in the church, but then being a Jesus follower outside of the church, through the doors, where I could start to talk to people or, or live with people or share my life with people or just make a friend and make them smile. But whatever the case, I, as a 16-year-old boy, needed to understand that. And these guys got around me and started praying for me. And they, started, they, started, they bought me a little Bible. And they said, this is the Word of God. This is what we, this is what we believe. And I, was, I, I knew a Bible in my house to be, it was, and maybe you have or have seen one of these things, it's a big, thick Bible. It's about like that thick. And it's got this like leatherette cover on it that's puffy, you know. And that thing stayed in a, in a, uh, somewhere and it had family stuff on it. But that thing stayed in a hutch in our dining room and never got out, you know. We never looked at it. 
And, and we go to church and we'd hear a message from a, from a priest or a pastor. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the word of God with me. I couldn't tell what he was talking about or where I should look to find out if what he's saying is actually true. So these things were really important for me. And they said, here, this is, we're going to hook you up. These guys were hooking me up. They're like, hey, you know what? We're having this, this thing at our church. Come on by. You know, I'll come down and pick you up and we'll go. So I started being, being a, a, a Jesus follower in that way. I thought, you know, well, this is kind of cool. You know, and I, I started to, to learn things. And I'm sort of a reader guy. I like to read. And as I started getting into the Word of God, I started seeing what, what the church was talking about in a whole new way. And I started seeing what my friends were saying in a whole new way. And they were excited. And I was excited. And on New Year's Eve, as the, the clock struck midnight and into 1982, I became a Christian. I took Jesus as my Savior because they, they led me to that point. And I took him as my Savior and I said, he died for my sins and my sins are forgiven and I am now a free person. And I can live that way. And if I would have understood this earlier, I would have understood that I was only just being complacent. I was not yet content. I had not learned to share with others. I had not learned that my life is not my own. We're going to get back to that. But just know that I was, I was, I was complacent and I wasn't content at that time. So let's look at the scriptures quick. Because there's three God resources that Paul looks into to find contentment. And it's all in this, in this fourth chapter of Philippians. He's talking about this. He's talking about God's overruling pres, uh, providence. He's talking about God's unfailing power. And he's talking about God's unchanging promises. So let's look at these resources. So providence, God's overruling providence. And the scripture that, he's, that we're going to look at quick is the first part of that that we already did. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So Paul sees that in, his, in God's providence, the church at Philippi was really concerned for him and wanted to show him concerned exactly at that time when Paul needed it. Okay, he saw that in them, and he he identifies providence is is a word, and maybe you don't know this word, but providence is is a word that's made up of like two little words, pro and then video, and pro means before, and video is to see. So if you put the word together, you sort of get the idea of what the word providence means. It means to see before, to God. God didn't only know, but he could see exactly what's going on, okay? So Paul wanted to go, and you probably heard the story of Paul before, where Saul became Paul on the road to Damascus. He, you know, got blind, lost scales on his eyes, but he came back. So that, we're all caught up now, right? Okay. So Paul wanted to, to preach because he was a changed person, 
okay? And he wanted to go to Rome as a prayer. I'm going to really condense down a lot here, but he wanted to go and preach in Rome because that was where you could make the biggest difference and you could change the world. And he, th- he knew that Jesus was, was real and Jesus was his friend and he wanted to do this and preach the gospel in Rome. But instead, he ended up being a prisoner <laughs> because he was illegally arrested at the temple in Jerusalem Okay, the Jews that were there, he was formerly a Jew, he was a, he was a good Jew, and he, he was into persecuting the Christians when he was a Jew, but then when, he, when, when Jesus you know, confronted him, he, he changed his ways, and so now the Jews don't like him, and then the Romans don't like him, and there was back and forth, so they both had him on their wanted list. He spent two years in prison at Caesarea. Finally, his appeal to the Roman uh, citizen, as a Roman citizen, because you could do that as a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Rome, reaches the proper authorities, and now he's being shi- he's, he's shipped off to Rome, but then the ship has shipwrecks and things like this, and he ends up spending three months on this island, and there were snakes jumping out of fires and all sorts of things. He sees all this, though, as an opportunity, not just suffering. He sees this as opportunities. He's going to learn in this process that God is in control. He sees the people that he's shackled to, the guards that he's shackled to. You know what? It's a really great time to preach to the guards because I'm shackled to them. So let's talk to them about Jesus, and that's what he would do. Or he would sing in in the cells, and and weird things would happen. But people would hear the gospel. So Paul could have been like, this is really going crazy. Instead, he says, I have opportunities here. Sort of like the story of Joseph in, the, in, the, in Genesis, where Joseph was the guy that had the really fancy coat of many colors, and his, his siblings were all really upset that he had a coat and they didn't have a coat. And then God started giving him his spirit that he understood dreams and things. And it, it, it ups, it's a long story to shorten down. But at the end of it, God says, or Joseph says to his brothers, after they all got back together on the same page, he says, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph was able to understand a little bit of God's providence there. He said, God was using the circumstances that I was in to get me to this point, to get the the country to this point so that we would survive this time. This is how God was was working there. Later on in Romans, Paul says, and you've probably heard Romans 8.28, anybody say, all things work together for good? To them who love God, you know, for those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. It could be the, can I say crappiest day? It could be the crappiest day, you know. It could be, it could be the, the most horrible thing that you can imagine at that very time. God can work that together for good in your life. One other, I wanted to quick point this out because it was something I came across that I didn't know about, but I have five children. My wife and I have five children. This is my wife over here, Holly. And um, we had five children, and sometimes people would say, you had five children? What were you thinking? Then we met the Dean family, which was just like, (laughs) (laughs) you had 15 children? What were you thinking? (laughs) Susanna Wesley, I found this, this woman, and you might have heard her before. She had 19 children. 
She's from a, a long time ago. 19 children, probably very overwhelming of a, of a, of a lifestyle to be in. I, can, I can't imagine. This is before the times of disposable diapers and, and labor that has, you know, easily comes out and everything's all fine and clean and things. <laughs> There's some moms in the house. They all went, oh, my gosh. But out of those 19 children, two of them, Charles and John, both went on to have incredible preaching ministries in the British Isles and wrote some incredible hymns and you know, made, made some incredible strives for the gospel. Two, two of those children, <laughs> in the midst of supper time, <laughs> as people, they come in from every room, you know, 19 kids. Can you imagine? Chris, can you imagine 19 kids? You can, yeah, huh? yeah, you could. <laughs> I say to her, what were you thinking? <laughs> but... I've heard somebody say this, and I could not figure out where the original quote was from, but there are no accidents with God. Only appointments and opportunities. Arrangements. God doesn't see everything, anything as an accident. He'll use anything as, as a way to you know, make a difference in this world. So let's move on to power, God's unfailing power. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. And then blah, 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 down to the bottom. And you've all heard Philippians 4.13 before. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God's unfailing power. Like, if you, if you recognize a tree, okay, a big tree. Look at, think, about, think about it in your mind right now. Where's the biggest tree you've ever seen? Okay? Think about that tree and then think about the huge amounts of... of Branches around it, okay? Underneath the ground, okay? Underneath the ground, where you can't see are roots that go out as big as the branches around the top. The, the roots go out into the ground that big at least. And you can't see those roots. But that's where all the power comes from the tree, the tree creates different things, grows fruit and makes, it, makes you know, oxygen and things like that. But it, the power, the nutrients come from the soil, come from the ground. And it's in a place where you can't see it. And God, or excuse me, Paul is saying, there is a source of power in your life that you cannot see, but these are the things that you know are there. I could do all things who give me strength. Then let's look at promises quick. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more that, you, that they're credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. This is down in 17 through 19, which we haven't actually looked at, so you might have to scroll down there a little bit. I received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I received Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul learned about promises, power, and providence of God. And he, he used all those to learn the contentment that he needed in his life. 
But before this happened, in chapter 4, Philippians is a small book. You could read it in a, in a, a very short time, and I think you should. But read starting from the beginning, because you can read what, what Paul went through in Philippians uh, chapter 1. And we're just going to touch on this quickly. Paul's suffering. This is where, this is where we find the, the suffering that Paul's going through. And it's not, it's not COVID, you know? It's not that he's living in a big family. It's not that, you know, it, but it is his suffering. And he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Remember we talked about how if Paul was in chains to a, pr- a prison guard, he could talk to that prison guard about Jesus. That advances the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole practice palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and have all the more have all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear, which is a great thing. Paul sees a deeper purpose to his suffering. In Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's seeing beyond this. He's seeing that Jesus has him in control. And at the end of that, we're going we're to scroll quickly to the bottom because you've seen this verse before too. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He sees that, that, Paul sees that Jesus is so in control of his existence that even if he dies, it would be great. This, the suffering is no longer the big deal that he's going through. It's, it's that he sees Jesus is in control. Then the next, the next slide, I'm not, if I am to go on living in this body, which Paul thinks is a good thing, this will be fruitful labor. What I, will, what I still choose, what shall I choose, he says. I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart be with Christ, which is by far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, Paul is struggling here. He's trying to figure out what is best for him to do uh, with with God in control, and Paul chooses to live through suffering in order to love others, to serve others, and advance the gospel. He uses his suffering as a catalyst to learn contentment and participate in the story of Jesus. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, walking with Christ. I had a different style of doing it back then because my mom and dad did not like that I was a Christian. They said, you're Catholic, and that was a difference. And there was a, there was a tension between us very often. You know, I was, a, I was a great teenager. I was a perfect teenager, in fact. My mom will tell you now um, <laughs> because she's old and forgets. But... <laughs> There wasn't a lot, I didn't have a lot of bad behaviors that, that gave them stress. But this situation now, as me walking with, with Jesus and them not, was tension. And I would have to do things like, I would do things like lie to my parents, tell them I was going to somebody's house, 
I could have probably said, I'm going over to Joey's house, we're going to have some beer. And they would have been okay with it. But if I said, I'm going to, to Joey's house and we're going, to have, we're going to do a Bible study, they would have been like, what do you mean? The tension was, 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 was hard. I had some, some records that my mom, they were, they were Christian records. Records, uh, young folk. Records. <laughs> They're discs that made music when you put this needle. It was weird. But they actually fly really well because my mom took them and she threw them out the front door. It was bad. Uh, so there was tension, okay? But that was, that was it. There was tension. And I was, I, I didn't, I was complacent. I was not really trying to, to reach out to them in love or anything. I was just trying to hopefully, you know, get out of here in time. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, I'll, I'll turn 18, go to college, and then I won't have to deal with this anymore or something like that, you know? It, that's the way I felt. But there was this one day when I, <laughs> God, God got me, and he really got me. I had been playing tennis with my, with my uh, cousin all day, and we came home, and I was watching television with my family at night, and my heart started racing like crazy. And we were watching Tom Selleck on, you know, Magnum P.I. And I, that wasn't what did it, I'm sure. But my heart started, I mean, my heart was beating like crazy. And my dad tried to take my pulse, and he couldn't count my pulse. It was that fast. And um, so, and I wasn't, there was nothing else going on. I was, just, I was a little weak and everything, but my heart was going nuts. So they took me to the hospital, which was, you know, a ways away. And then we got to the hospital, and the, the, the ER, in the ER, they, they put me on monitors, and they found that my heart was, was beating 250 beats a minute, which is fast. But it's not my ventricle. It's not the big one that pumps the blood to the body. It was the atrial, the smaller ones that pump to the lungs, actually. And they were, they were the fluttering ones. They were, they were beating like crazy, and the ventricle was still pumping out. So... If the ventricle was doing 250 beats a minute, I would have been dead in 11 minutes. But because the, the atria was doing that, it was, they said, you know, you could, you could live that way for 11 hours. So they, we got the answer. We're going to just put these medicine, this medicine into you. And there was uh, stuff that the doctor said would knock over a cow. All right. And I was much smaller than I, was, than I am now, but I wasn't a cow size. And they pushed these things in into an IV, which went right to my heart. And nothing happened. The, the heart still kept going. And there was this young doctor in the ER who, he was like, let's get the paddles out now. <laughs> and I'm sitting there talking to the doctor. And he's talking about paddles. And I'm like, yo, dude, hold on. Those hurt. You know, everybody says clear when you do those on TV. <laughs> and I don't want any part of that. And the doctor, the older doctor, said, no, no, hold on now. So what he did, what they did was they pushed some more medicine and still nothing happened. And they were, they, <laughs> it was funny because I said I was a good Catholic. I had received all of the Catholic um, blessings that they give out except for the one that makes you into a minister or a priest. Uh, I got, I was blessed because I was going to die. That was the, the final blessing that most people get as Catholics. <laughs> um, and they, the priest did that, and then they said, we're going to take you and put you up into, the, into a bed for the night, 
and, and we're going to try to figure something else out. We're going to get you into a more comfortable place. So they took me into this place where they could have my parents there, but nobody else. And that blew my mind because my parents snuck in my girlfriend. And my girlfriend was a Christian. And my parents hated my girlfriend for that reason. Um, but they got her in. And I, and, and I have two siblings, too, which are very much the same age as me. So they were around, but they didn't bring her in. They brought my girlfriend in. Okay, Maybe it's a God thing, I'm thinking. But what she, she did, she, she came in, and we um, talked a little bit, and she slipped me a Bible. She said, here. And she put it under my pillow, and she said, just read it. And so we, we said a prayer together, and she left. And uh, when she left, my parents didn't come back in right away. And so now we're around 10, 10 and a half hours into this whole experience. And um, I opened the Bible and started to, to read it. And I don't know what I was reading. I don't know where I was. In, it was a New Testament with Psalms. So it was in one of those books. But I don't know what it was. And I opened it and started reading it. And as I did that, I felt like cold water went from the top of my head to the toes of my feet and just washed over my body. And as soon as the cold, I mean, it was very cold. As soon as the cold hit my feet, the nurse comes through the door and she's excited. And she's waving a piece of paper in her hand. (laughs) And she says, you've converted back to sinus rhythm. And I knew what that meant because we've been talking about things like this and, and I was sort of medically reclined a little bit, you know, to understand things, that my heart had gone from the back to the 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 the, the. and none of the drugs, none of the blessings of the priests could do anything about it. It was in in my mind I knew exactly that God had touched my heart and got it working again. And now my life had to be his. It was no longer mine to just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, um, you know, that's it. I start, I have to live for him. That's the secret of contentment that Paul learned through his sufferings. My sufferings were, were <laughs> sort of little, you know, kicking the butt right there. But as it turns out, my heart does this thing on occasion. Um, and I do have a defibrillator in my chest right now, and it actually has gone off before when I was awake. And I'll tell you, that's something else. But God has told me and has directed me that this is something that I'm to, to see as the way that you learn contentment in Christ. My, my time is not my own. My daughter was, was born, for, for other reasons, was born with seven different heart defects. And she has a recreated heart that is in two chambers instead of four chambers. And we saw peace. Yes, we were concerned. Yes, we were praying like crazy. But we saw peace through that time 
of her surgeries and her things. And I was actually, when she was first taken to Hershey Medical, I was actually able to pray with somebody who needed to know God because that's where, that's where God has put me. Through that suffering, I have found contentment. John Piper had a cancer thing that, that came up with him, and he wrote a, a favorite quote of mine, don't waste your cancer. God puts you through something, he's going to show you a way to learn contentment through it. Um, he, and, and Piper goes and references uh, 2 Corinthians, and you can look that up. Um, but it's, it's, at the end of it, it says that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then Charles Spurgeon. See, I tried to get a, because Chris told me I had to have a Tim Keller quote in this one, because everybody has, a, the cool pastors have Tim Keller quotes, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon's one of my favorites. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. The waves that, that crash up, those sufferings, those times that, that crash into us, they push us to God, the rock of ages. And Spurgeon's wife, for some reason, I, I, I also found this out as I was looking in, I found her, also, her name is also Susanna. She became an invalid quite early in life. And she thought she would be right beside her husband the whole time. And Charles Spurgeon had an incredible ministry um, and, and, and spoke some, some strong words, besides some really cool quotes. But Susanna became an invalid, and she just assumed that God was just going to have her pray for her husband, and you know that would be it. But then he put this in her heart, that through this time, she would, she would be able to, to help in, in a way. And she, there was thousands of young pastors who would come to, to hear Spurgeon speak, and they couldn't afford his books and things. So Susanna actually formed a book fund and would, would manage this book fund and make sure that these young pastors got out these books for free. And this was her call. Through, this, through the, the, the fact that she was no longer able to do the normal things of life and no longer to take part side by side with her husband, she was able to still bless so many people because she saw how contentment in Christ could override those sufferings. I, I ask you guys to, to, to consider these different questions. What is your personal ministry when God calls you to, 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 uh, to, do, to do it? What is it you are to do as a, as a person of Christ, as, a, as part of the body of Christ, that is not, you know, not, not necessarily something that you're going to do every Sunday morning? Okay? It's something that you do all the time. Because you have been created to have a, a, an effect on people. That's what God in you has, has done. So what is your personal ministry? And are you learning to be content through the stuff that's coming your way, through the suffering, whatever the suffering is? Are you learning to be content? Or are you just being complacent? Are you just being, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, because my mom and dad are Christians. Never works for me. God doesn't make any, any people as Christians because their parents are Christians or they, because you grew up in a Christian church or because you grew up in a Christian family. That's not why you become a Christian. You become a Christian when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, when God gives you an understanding that you are a new creation. That is your, your time. And you can find contentment 
in anything, in, in throughout these sufferings or anything else. So the last question is, how can you participate in the story of Jesus? What are you doing? Not just you older folks. There's some of you, you know, like over 40s, your, your lives are done. But... <laughs> Not you yet, Chris. You're still good. <laughs> but, but you kids, what are you doing to participate in the story of Jesus right now? What, teenagers, what are you doing? Mom and Dad, what are you doing? Young marrieds, what are you doing? What are we doing? Instead of suffering, instead of being overwhelmed by our sufferings, let's learn contentment. Let's learn how God wants to move us, and let's learn to follow him through, this, through these struggles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I'm sorry for taking up so much of my time, but Father, you know what you wanted to say, and I pray, Lord, that whatever I have said would be from you. The foolishness that comes from my mouth that wasn't supposed to be said, that would just fall away. But whatever I've said that you wanted to to hear would be something that would be ingrained in our hearts forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.